need connection, accountability, support as you explore the next level version of you, give yourself a real gift this year, the gift of time. The Warrior Women Mastermind is starting again in January, a curated group of six amazing women in a safe, collaborative setting. Think you don't have enough time? The money? Wrong. Ask yourself if you're worth three hours a month and $25 a day. The biggest discovery some of the women who sign up for my mastermind figure out is they have so much in common with other women and that they have traded their worth for a to-do list. Set up your interview call with me by going to lizswadek.com. That's L-I-Z-S-V-A-T-E-K.com. Space is limited and will sell out fast. Don't miss this opportunity to put yourself first. Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. Grief is a subject we all try to avoid, but it is an important topic, especially this time of year. I've seen the most incredible transformations and soul's journeys born out of unbearable grief. My guest today is no different. She is growing and expanding and finding her purpose through grief. What are you grieving? Could it be a catalyst for purpose in your life? Let's find out. Sending you so much love, all you warriors. All right, Carrie Murray is back with the Bra Network. Carrie, I heard you have some news for us. Last time you came on and you t- we talked about the Bra Network. This time you're expanding? What's going on? Huge, exciting news. We're growing, we're getting bigger. We have new members coming in from all over the country. So now we're getting back to having in-person events and they're coming to a city near you. We've got them in Houston, Austin, Boston, Portland, Ventura, Orange County, San Diego. We're coming for you. Oh my God, that's so exciting. So you can live anywhere. I love this. So Carrie, what do you think it is about Bra Network that makes it so special? Well, why don't I ask you? You've been a huge cheerleader for me, a huge champion for the women of this network. What do you like about Bra Network? Oh my gosh, Carrie. Well, if I mean, put me on the spot, why don't you? But I will say that I love the collaborative nature of everything Bra stands for. Whether we're hiring each other, whether we're going to events together, we're referring clients to each other. It's just a good feeling to collaborate and be in the space with some dynamic women. We can learn about money. We can learn about business. We can learn about LinkedIn, but we also can learn about spirituality or we can learn about self-care. So you really have something for everyone. I think it's really one of the best networking groups out there, which is why you know I'm your biggest fan. Why, thank you. (laughs) So everybody needs to join the Bra Network. Join now because the prices are increasing and it's coming to a city near you. So let's go. Warrior 2. Where do they go, Carrie? How do they join? Good question. Bra-network.com and use that code warrior2 for 20% off. Today on the show, Whitney Allen. Whitney is an attorney, a mom, and the author of the memoir, Running Through Trauma in Stilettos. Such a great title, by the way. Whitney, I love (laughs) that title. In April of 2021, Whitney lost her beloved husband, Ryan, 
Her second son was only three months old at the time, and her other son was only four. Since her husband's death, she has written a memoir about her real and raw experience with trauma and grief. She is here to share her story and show that there is purpose through the pain. Whitney is showing us how to evolve, expand, and grow through grief. Thank you for being on the show today. Welcome, Whitney. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I cannot thank you enough for coming today. I saw your story on Instagram. I had to reach out not only because of you know your story, you know, with your husband, but what you had in your Instagram bio. Because I pay attention to those Instagram bios. And you said that you're showing us how to evolve, expand, and grow in grief. That mm-hmm. really like struck me. Because people, when they think about grief, they're not thinking about growing and evolving and expanding, right? They're thinking about, right. I'm just going to lay down and never get up again, right? That's exactly. what grief as being. So grief is hard for everyone. And I, I really, really think you can help us today with this. And I'm really excited for you to be here. So first, I just want to hear about Ryan. I just want to hear about him. Like, what kind of guy okay. was he? What was he like? How did you meet? Tell me about this amazing man. Sure. I I mean, talking about Ryan is one of my favorite things. He uh, was just such a beautiful person, so lively. We met in 2012 on St. Patrick's Day. So I was home. I was in my second year of law school at Villanova. And my sister and Ryan were in the police academy together. And he came over before they went out for the night in Maniunk, which was is kind of like an area where young people go out to the bars and St. Patrick's Day was a fun night to do that. And I wasn't really feeling like going out. My sister said, hey, like, why don't you just come out with us? You know, like you don't have classes tomorrow. You can hang out with the people in my police academy class. So I did agree to go out with them and I got dressed up and put on makeup and all the things I didn't want to do. <laughs> and I walked downstairs into my parents' kitchen and Ryan was standing like we had this big island and he was on the other side of the island and we just locked eyes. And that was the first time we met. He was very handsome and charming and witty, so funny and so smart, uh, very charismatic. And I had a bracelet on with my name on it and how he figured that I was single is he said, Oh, did your boyfriend get you that bracelet? And I said, no. Clever, (laughs) Ryan. Very clever. Did your boyfriend buy you that Whitney? (laughs) Wiring minds want to know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I actually had just gotten out of a serious relationship a few months before I met Ryan and he had also gotten out of a very serious long-term relationship before that night. So, you know, we obviously were both single when we met. So I was available and he was available on it. You know, that night we just really connected and talked and we just wanted to spend all our time together after that night. And I just knew that he would be my husband even after the first night, which is really weird to say, but I think we both kind of knew that we had met our person and we were engaged three months after we met. I love that. I mean, when you know, you know. Mm-hmm. That's how we felt. And it's so funny because I remember, because I felt like I was like the last one on earth to get married. I remember like interviewing people and being like, what do you mean? What do you mean, you know? Like, I don't understand. How do you mm-hmm. know? But it is, it's like, you feel like you knew the person forever. You feel like you want to talk to them all the time, but you also feel like you are they already know everything. Like they, mm-hmm. it's almost like you went to high school together and you just, they just know everything. It's the most amazing thing when you really meet the person. 
I saw your Instagram post, like the, that last video of him. And it was so, it, what I think is so crazy about this is how life can change on a dime. And, you know, watching that cute post where he's talking, he's like, there she goes. Love of my life. Like he's so <laughs> cute talking about you. And, yeah. you know, it's just a regular day, you know, a regular day that turned into the most not regular day that could possibly be. So what mm-hmm. happened? Uh, was it October 14th was the day? Yes. So October 14th, uh, last year, 2021. And like you said, it was just a a very normal, regular day. Two days before we had just celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary. So in October, uh, Ryan would always take off a lot of from work because over the summer he would work overtime because a lot of the other officers would go to the beach houses. And that's when he kind of like put his head down and got a lot of overtime. So in October was when he took a lot of time off for our anniversary. And so we could do fall activities with our son. So he had off that day. I forget if he had taken off on purpose or if he was just off, but I was working from home and yeah, it was just a regular day. He was training Louie in the morning and I was working, you know, in our dining room and he was a big, um, he worked out a lot. So he did CrossFit. Um, so around noon, I think he went to the station and, um, said hi to the guys and checked in. And then he went to the CrossFit gym where he had gone for years. Um, and I was just home working and he got home, um, and I was still working and he had just mentioned in passing that he had gotten stung by a bee and he showed me his arm. I forget what arm it was. It was the inside of his arm. Uh, and I, he had put toothpaste on it or yeah. something there's for the sting. Remedy. Yeah. There's always weird remedies. Yes. That people hear about and try. Yes. Yeah. And I, I thought nothing of it because he had been stung before in his childhood and in the, you know, while we were together and had no reaction whatsoever. So I wasn't worried. Uh, So I just kept working. Uh, And suddenly he just said to me, I feel weird. And it was just the way that he sounded that just like made the hair like on my body just stick up. I, I knew something was wrong. And I just, I don't know how I knew, I guess just because he told me he got a bee sting and he felt weird. I knew that he was having uh, an allergic reaction. So I went into like, like action mode. I dialed 911 right away, started looking for Benadryl. And all we had was children's Benadryl. And as I'm doing this, I'm not even really focusing on what he is doing. He walks down the stairs and walks outside to our front stoop. Um, so I'm on the phone with 911 trying to give them information. And obviously I'm so just like tunnel vision. So I'm just focusing on giving them the information. So I don't know where Ryan is. And then suddenly they asked me, so where's your husband now? And I was like, I don't even know. And I'm kind of saying this more long-winded. It was so fast. Uh, So I walked downstairs, not knowing he was outside and I'm screaming for him, like, Ryan, where are you? You know, going through my house. And I see that the door is cracked open to our front door. So I run out and Ryan is stumped, like slumped over on our, on our step, um, passed out. So, you know, I, I was like, I think I threw the phone down and just tried to lower him down as 
slowly as I could without, um, you know, hurting him. He was a big guy, six, two, like over 200 pounds. I was 26 weeks pregnant. I'm five, two time, like petite. So I'm like trying to like steady him down, which was hard without like banging his head. Um, and then it, it looked like he was having trouble breathing. So I, I told the 911 operator what was going on. And she instructed me to start chest compressions on him um, on our, uh, you know, our front patio. And, you know, I'm screaming because I don't want to leave him, even though I want to like run to the neighbor's house to get help. I didn't want to leave him. So I just kept screaming and screaming and screaming. And no one heard me. It was one of those weird days where there was like no one in the neighborhood walking, which is weird for our neighborhood because it's very, um, there's so many people that are always walking and it was just silent. Uh, and also our one of our neighbors was either like cutting down a tree or using some sort of machinery that was drowning out my screams, um, which like never happens either. So it was just kind of like a perfect um event for people not to hear me scream. Um, so I'm doing CPR on Ryan and he, he started foaming at the mouth from the anaphylaxis. So I just instinctively just put him over to the side so he wouldn't like aspirate. Um, and I don't have any training at like medical training. I just did it instinctively. Instincts are crazy good. Wow. Um, and then I'm not sure exactly how long it took for the ambulance to get to the house. It it felt like forever. I know it wasn't that long. It was probably five minutes. Um, and when they got there, Ryan was still breathing. He was struggling to breathe, but he was still breathing. And when they got there, I just kind of like ran off the porch and let them like help him. And they were, Louie was outside and they were screaming at me because Louie was kind of like jumping like an antelope because he was frantic like you know Ryan's in distress so Louis was in distress and he's not really knowing why these people are here and he didn't have a collar on and they're like you have to get control for the dog and I'm the only one that he would you know he probably wouldn't have like bit in that moment um so I he didn't even have a collar on so I had to run in the house grab a collar bring it back out, put it on him. And then like, I just yanked him in the house and like shut the door. Um, and I kind of ran to the side uh, where one of the police officers was and, um, you know, started talking to him while they were working on Ryan. <clears throat> um, and during that time, I was just, you know, obviously so beside myself and I didn't know what was happening. Um, so I asked, I asked the police officer, I said, you know, is he alive? Cause I didn't, I didn't know. And he said, well, his heart isn't beating and, but they're trying to get him back. Oh my God. Um, so, you know, I, some of it is kind of blurry at that point, just the, cause of the trauma of it. Um, and then we went to the hospital and I didn't know that Ryan's heart had started in the ambulance, but it, he had been down for at least 20 minutes um, by the time he got to the local hospital. So that kind of started a cascade of events. Um, he was transferred to the ICU at Penn Presbyterian in Philadelphia from where we were at Doyletown Hospital. They didn't have the resources that we needed for his injury. Um, so that started like a five or five or six month uh, ordeal of Ryan being in and out of 
hospitals and rehab and, um, you know, and then leading up to hospice. Yeah. I mean, looking back on that, did you at first do the thing we all do, which is like, what could I have done? Couldn't I have like, I could have fixed it somehow. Like, did you torture yourself with that thought of like, I'm going to, I could have done something else. Or did you just know, like, no, what could I have done? It was so random. He's had the bee stings before. Like what, what was like your immediate thought as you were, you know what I mean? Did you look back on it like that? I think I did. I, I mean, I do still. And I, I, I did then, um, you know, like, is there anything that I could have done? Could I, should I have gone to the neighbor's house um, and left him maybe to get like an, to see if people had an EpiPen or the only thing that, the only thing that I've been told by doctors, the only thing that would have helped Ryan in that moment would have been an EpiPen and he had no reason to have one. Right. So, um, you know, I try not to think what if, because it there's nothing I can do about what happened. I did everything I could to save him. Um, and I think, I think the only reason that he, his heart started beating again was because I, you know, I was doing the CPR, um, because, you know, I was home. I think truly you did more than most people would. I think most people wouldn't have been calling 911 that fast. I mean, you know, a lot of people go into a freeze response, like they just get Mm -hmm. stuck, right? The way you leapt into action and knew certain things, like a lot of people wouldn't know the things you knew. So I actually think he only lived longer because of you. Mm-hmm. It really seems like that from that story, from the from the way you're telling it. Like I'm actually amazed at what you did do. Yeah, and, and that even comes with its sense of guilt as well, because I feel like you know he did suffer after that. Like if he had just passed away on October 14th, he would have avoided a lot of what he had to go through in the six months leading up to his ultimate death. Um, so you know it's hard not to beat myself up because of that too, because there's guilt around that. Like, you know, I almost did too much because I didn't want to see him in the state that he was in uh, when he came back. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, there's no, (laughs) you could, you could beat yourself up for a million things. Right. And you Mm -hmm. can replay it a hundred times and it, it, nothing, nothing will bring him back. Mm -hmm. Right. So if, if all that beating yourself up could do something good, I would say, great, keep doing it, right? But mm-hmm. we know it's not going to do any good. In fact, it's just going to keep you from understanding the power that you really have and the message that you really have, which is you're here to heal a lot of people. Because this does not just happen to people. You are called to this for some reason. And so here you mm-hmm. are. So yeah. tell me, tell me mm-hmm. about um, what made you start writing the book. Was it survival? <laughs> no, actually. Uh, so... When Ryan's accident happened, there was he was a police officer, and so many people loved him and knew him from the community. And they they were just like the amount of messages and texts and people wanting updates was overwhelming to me. Um, so I just decided to start writing posts on Facebook as like updates for people because I I wanted people to know what was going on because they cared so much and they were doing so much for our family. Um, so I wanted to be able to give back in that way, just like telling people what was happening. Um, and that started like a life of its own because 
you know, his story kind of went viral and everyone was sharing it and everyone became so involved and invested in Ryan's recovery and our family and our story that was happening. Um, and I got so many messages in that, in that aftermath of his accident from people that were going through similar adversities, not necessarily, you know, their husband's brain injury, but people that were going through really hard times in their lives and wanting to relate to somebody and Ryan's story. Um, they felt like they could relate and they were seen by what I was writing. Um, and then after Ryan passed and everything that we had gone through, I knew that I had to write a book that would help other people going through the worst days of their life, uh, like we did, and to show that there is there is hope. Um, you know, there is so much strength that you can take from a horrible situation, um, even though it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. There's so much to take from a tragedy. Uh, and I, I wanted to write a book that I needed when I was going through through that. Yeah, I think a lot of people need this book. And I love that you have a little humor in the title because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a certain guilt you feel even about having a laugh, having a fun time, enjoying your life at all, right? Like there's a certain guilt that goes with that, but that is absolutely allowed <laughs> and and welcomed and is the thing that, you know, humor sometimes keeps us alive in those, you know, situations because there's no doubt a dream died for you that day. You know, it, that it, a dream died that day. A dream died when he passed on, but there are other dreams. And so I, I think it's amazing that you could write the book and you would write the book, not just for other people, but for yourself to know, you know, almost healing yourself through, through writing it. And, and that's amazing. Um, you say that you developed some rituals and strategies that really, really helped you when you were going from surviving and coming out of it. And it's only been a year. So, I mean, my gosh, you're still, I know, in the thick of it in some ways. Um, can you share some of those kind of rituals and strategies? Maybe they would be helpful to other people dealing with things like this. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have come up with some habits and strategies that I felt really helped me, especially in, I, you know, it's known as like the acute phase of grief and while Ryan was in the hospital and leading up to his death, um, because after his death, I think there was <clears throat> there was a lot of freedom and peace after his death. So when Ryan was in the hospital, there was just so much going on. It was so heavy. Um, so I started to control the controllables, and that was very helpful for me. And I like to give tangible advice. So when I say that... Um, you know, I would shower and put on makeup and do my hair every day before going to the hospital because it wasn't a vanity thing. It was something I could control because this thing that I had no control over had happened and I wanted to take back control. So just, you know, doing that little self-care and putting myself together to feel, um, to feel good every day while I was just in the hospital, that was something I did making my bed, something as simple as making your bed, um, or like making your coffee in the morning or making a cup of tea, like those little rituals, those little self-care things are so important when, when you're going through something that is just so heavy and that takes away your power. Um, exercising, uh, that's a huge one for me. It makes you feel powerful and gives you endorphins. It literally changes all the chemistry in your body 
at a very fundamental level. Um, and for me, grief is so physical. And I think for a lot of people, it's so physical. It drains your energy and makes you feel physically ill. Like you just feel like so much heaviness. I mean, that's just like your stomach is like dropped all the time. Like that's what it feels like um, to, to have such a loss like I experience and physically moving my body. It was like moving the grief out of me and like replacing it with more positive energy and energy energy that I could put into my, my children energy I could put into myself and like giving back to the world in a positive way. Um, getting out in nature, like walking. So if you like combine the physical movement with getting out in nature, getting sunshine on your face and like the breeze, it's just so healing. And I have found that in nature, I feel so much closer to Ryan um, because he just loved being outside and he loved just like being physical. Um, and there's just, that brings me a lot of joy to know that I feel so close to him in those moments where I'm, you know, sweating, I have the endorphins going and I just think of him. Um, so those are some of the, the tangible things. Also reading a positive or inspirational book. I've been reading a book about heaven cause I just wanted to, you know, also feel closer to Ryan and like, like think about the place that he's he is now because I do believe in that and then you know it it gives me faith that I will see him one day and that gives me a lot of comfort as well absolutely and you know what they they really say that like you know we are very close to like being you know that they are still connected that they are still sending us messages that they are and it's really what you're available for, you know, if you believe Mm -hmm. that and you know that these messages, you know, and you're available for these messages, they do come. So I've heard that from many, many people. Um, Have you, do you feel like you've been connected to him? Do you feel like he's sent you any messages, any signs or anything like that? Have you seen anything? Oh, I, I do. I believe in that. And I, you know, I talk to him all the time and I ask him for signs. And when I was deciding, you know, what I should do in terms of work, um, cause I didn't know if I should go back to law or, I sh- or if I should go all in with pursuing, um, like grief counseling and just going in with my book and doing my own thing. And he had always known that I wanted to do my own thing and, and build my own business. And I just, we weren't in a place where I was able to do that. Um, so I, you know, I asked him, I was like, if, if I, if I should do my own thing and build my business, like send me butterflies, like not little butterflies, but like really big, beautiful, colorful butterflies. And I said, if, if uh, I'm supposed to go back to law and if that's my path that I'm supposed to be on, like show me a Fox because um, he had known that Foxes were also assigned for me, like different parts of my life. When I had asked for guidance, like a Fox would show up. Uh, And then I just started seeing all these butterflies everywhere. Like, not just one, but like so many of them in posters on TV, people talking about butterflies, <laughs> um, the posters in my, ch- like my kids daycare, there was like butterflies everywhere. And I hadn't, and then I didn't see any foxes. Like they just stopped showing up. Like usually I see foxes a lot and they just like, I actually didn't see any after I asked them that. I love um, it. and I just, I keep, so I keep seeing those signs and I do. I look for them and I do feel like he hears me and we do have, you know, although he's, he's not here physically, I do still feel like we have a connection and our love story continues 
even though he's not here. Absolutely. And especially through your awesome boys. So Mm -hmm. it's just a beautiful product of of the two of you. Um, What's the biggest lesson you think you've learned through all of this? If you had to pick one, I'm sure there's a million things you've learned, but what do you think the biggest lesson is that you've learned? Uh, Probably the biggest lesson is no matter what is thrown at me or, you know, if I'm talking to somebody, like whatever is thrown at you in life, there's always meaning in it. There's always purpose in it. Um, And you have a choice. Like you have a choice to let this really horrible thing dictate your future and let that be your entire story and let that define you. Or you have a choice to show up every day as your best self and like make it have meaning and purpose for your life um, and build something positive out of it. You know, there's going to be things in everyone's life. And for me, that was losing my husband before I say I lived a very charmed life. I didn't have any tragedy that had befallen me. And this is like my first taste of it. And it's like the worst kind of tragedy that you could ever imagine losing a young husband with two young sons. And I was pregnant at the time. Um, So that's really unimaginable. But the strength that you gain from surviving that and being able to still find joy and happiness after that, it just gives you so much strength and power and confidence that you can do anything. A hundred percent. I mean, if you can get through that, (laughs) what? Mm -hmm. What, just go ahead, try me, right? You almost become emboldened, right? Like you're like, yeah, go, go. Oh, you're having a bad day. Let me tell you about a bad day. Yeah, I'll explain right. to you what a bad day really is. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Um, yeah, so true, so true. Um, what do you think the most helpful thing someone has done or said in your journey with grief? Because I think, you know, I've, I had a grief counselor come on this podcast mm-hmm. um, who had lost her mother and she became a grief counselor. And she, I love, I love all, we talked about how the stages of grief are actually not the stages of grief. They're actually the stages of death. And people think they're supposed to literally go through the stages of grief. Like, like it's organized, like, like you're not going to be okay one day and then be ragey one day and then be so Mm -hmm. depressed one day in like that. It's, you know, it's nothing you can map out obviously. Um, But she was mentioning how some people are like, they get scared because they don't know what to do Whitney. They're so terrified mm-hmm. that they're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. So they end up doing nothing or putting it on you. Let me know what you need. And you're like, dude, I'm supposed to also let you know what I need at this time. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. So right. can you give me some, like for people who are supporting people through the worst of, of the worst, what was some kind of helpful things people said or did uh, for you over this journey? Yeah, I will say after going through a tragedy um, that a lot of people say a lot of wrong things. So it's not about saying the right things. Like sometimes it's not about, I mean, honestly, most of the time it's not about saying anything. And especially if you don't know what to say, the better thing is just to not say anything at all. It's really just to be present with somebody that's in their grief and witnessing um, what they're going through and their trauma and grief. And like, if that means just like sitting with somebody while they're like crying and letting yourself be uncomfortable in someone's grief and literally just being there, like that's what you do. Um, it really helped me uh, 
if people would just show up with like coffee and food, because I didn't have to think about that. Like, they're not like, what do you need? Because when you're going through that, you're like, I don't know what the heck I need right now. Like, I don't even know how to breathe my next breath. Like, how do I even know what I need? So when people showed up with these things that were, you know, I probably did need, like, I did need a coffee, like who doesn't need a coffee or wine or whatever. Um, that was really nice. Cause you don't have to, you're not putting that burden on the grieving person, on the person in trauma to like decide what they want. Um, so that was really helpful. But I mean, honestly, the people that just witnessed my grief and were with me in my grief and didn't judge and just let me be in it, no matter what I was doing, whether I was crying, whether I was just like raging, like you said, whether I was venting, like they would just like, let me be. They didn't try to fix it. They didn't try to be like, oh, why don't you like see the positive in this? Or it, it, no, it's just like, let someone be what they are being in the moment. Yeah. That's my best piece of advice. Like, do not try to fix it and try to anticipate needs. Don't ask because that's just putting, that's putting a burden on someone that already has enough burdens. Yeah. I'm the first thing I do is sign up to bring a meal so, or I just bring the meal. I don't even care. I'm like, I'm bringing you something home cooked. Yeah. I'm not even going to tell you I'm coming. Here it goes. Here, mm-hmm. here's flowers, a bottle of wine, a meal, you know, text me I'm here, but I'm not bothering you because I, I totally, I mean, I've been in those moments and you, when you are just in the thick of it and you need somebody to just, cause you don't want to ask for help. That's the last mm-hmm. thing you want to do. And if anything, you don't want people feeling sorry for you. You don't want people pitying you. You don't like that. Like people don't want that. People want to be like, get a, have a coffee, come to the house, have some ice cream, come to the house, have, you know, for the kids, you know, just focus on like, what is something that you could just provide that anybody going through that would appreciate, right? A meal, a coffee, Mm -hmm. a treat. That's, that to me is brilliant. Right. So I think. Yeah, exactly. And I remember, so the day that Ryan died, my sister, Rachel, I have three younger sisters. This is the one that's right below me. She was there um, when Ryan was on hospice a lot. And she was there the day that he died. And that day I, we were at my um, Ryan's cousin's house. So I had been living at someone else's house with two small children for like two weeks. And I was like, so done like every bone in my body hurt. I was so tired. I was so sad, but I was ready to like start my new life with my boys. Like I wanted this chapter to be over so badly because it was so hard and we were waiting for, um, them to pick up Ryan. And I went upstairs and started packing my stuff and she just followed me and she didn't say anything. She was just like understood like where my head was at. She didn't judge me for not like waiting downstairs, like waiting for them to pick up Ryan's body. Like she knew that I just was done and like I needed to go home and she helped me pack. Ah, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. A really great friend that like instinctively just follows your lead and doesn't, you know, doesn't make a thing out of it just says like, okay, this is what we're doing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So Whitney, my best friend, uh, growing up, Michelle, her husband was killed on September 11th and September 11th is actually her birthday. If you could think of something more horrifying than that, left her as a widow in her young thirties with two toddlers. Uh, the, the church for his service was packed because they both went to Georgetown. And I mean, you, you know, the young funerals are to me, the saddest things in the world because there's just all these people there, right? Like it's just insane. So 
I remember, I remember this moment where I flew, even though it was September 11th, I had to show up for her. So I flew with my now husband, but then we were only dating a couple of weeks. Like, I can't believe this man actually came with me, but we flew across the country. I went to the funeral and I went down the kind of line of people greeting her after the service. And I looked her in the eyes and she said, can you believe this is fucking happening to me? And I just, with like tears in my eyes, I was like, no. I really cannot believe this is happening to you. So what was it when I, when I say that, what comes to your mind? Uh, what comes to my mind initially is just, you know, cause I just remember being in that receiving line at Ryan's Memorial and it's a surreal experience. Uh, my experiences was different than your friends because that was a sudden death and mine was there's a lot of anticipatory grief, what they call it when you anticipate a death. Um, so I was prepared for Ryan to die. But being in that moment, standing in this line where people are offering condolences for this 35-year-old handsome man, you know, the father of my children, it, it's a sur surreal experience. And, you know, it's out of body. And that's one of the things I write about in my memoir. Um is about that experience and standing in that line and what people would say and some of the things that people said that they probably shouldn't have said. And there's no way, there's no correct way to act in that moment. I just remember going into the back and just being overwhelmed. We had like a little private area and I needed a vodka drink, like, because oh, yeah. I, I was just so overwhelmed. And, um, one of Ryan's, uh, family members had said something to me that was absolutely absurd. And I was like, I need to leave. So I left the line and went to make myself a vodka drink. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's warranted. I think that's warranted. Anybody would say. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, especially as a young widow with, with two small children, it, it's just, it's an out of body surreal experience because you're, you know, what's happening, you know, you're, you're an adult. So you understand what's happening, but on another level, it's just, you can't even, you can't come to terms with it at the same time. Um, and I think that takes a long time to even come to terms with the reality of the situation. And I think that sets in, you know, months after the loss and for your friend, because like I said, all experiences in death are so unique. So they have to be what I'm learning in my grief certification course. They have to, the grief is different depending upon the death of the person that um, the grieving person experienced. Um, and having, knowing other widows and knowing what it's like to have more of like a very sudden death um, where there's not that anticipatory grief. And when there is that anticipatory grief, it's different grief processes. And for me, Ryan's death and accident was so unique because his was kind of both because I lost him suddenly in October of 2021. But then I had that, you know, six month time period where his body was still here and I could see him and I could talk to him, even though he couldn't talk to me, but physically his body was here before he died. Um, so it was, it was, it was a very complex situation because you realize how little just having a body is that can't talk to you or hug you or tell you, I love you, or, you know, can't be a father to your kids because they're in bed and they can't do anything for themselves. Like you realize how little like this vessel is. Yeah. It's like the person is the soul and, 
um, their energy and everything that makes them a person is not the body. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what's also hard for for Michelle is that um, it's a national day of mourning. So when you're nationally mourning September 11th, she's, I, I'm, I'm guessing that she sometimes feels like, can you just like, let it go for God's sakes? Like, can you, can, can I quietly grieve my thing? Like, I get that everybody needs to grieve, but like, this is my actual private loss, my loss, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it probably feels to her, like it takes away from her loss because everyone is mourning on that day. It's not just, you know, someone reaching out to her being like, I'm sorry for your loss because it's everyone's loss. Um, I, I will share because this is so similar to your, your friend's story. So Ryan died on his sister's birthday, um, on April 7th, 2022. And, it was just so bizarre because he was on hospice for 22 days and no one thought that he would live that long after we decided to take away, you know, his feeding and his uh, hydration. Um, and we had to keep giving him like all this medication because he just wasn't passing. And all the hospice nurses would tell us, well, sometimes they're waiting for somebody or sometimes they want to pass when they're alone. Like they're waiting to be alone or they're waiting to be surrounded by people. And we like tried everything. We had two false alarms, like of him where everyone thought he was going to pass and he didn't like he rallied and it was excruciating. And then, um, you know, 22 days he like waited. It was like, he waited for Morgan's birthday to pass. And, you know, I try to tell Morgan and I try to tell my mother-in-law, Karen, that I think he did that on purpose. Um, and it's like, he was waiting for Morgan's birthday because then we couldn't be sad on his death anniversary. Like we would have to celebrate Morgan's life and not be mournful of his death of Ryan's death. Yeah. Um, and in that way, I get, I think we get to celebrate both of their lives on that day. So I try to tell Morgan, look at it as, you know, it's an honor, um, because he wanted you to have to celebrate that day instead of mourning that day. So I think that's important to, to switch it. Cause we do, we, we, we put power to these dates and I think we should, but maybe we, we shouldn't let them hold as much power as they do. hundred percent. Someone who's grieving right now, someone, you know, the holidays are coming Whitney. Like this is, this is one of those times that even people who haven't had a recent passing of somebody, it just stirs up all of these feelings, right? Like the holidays can be really freaking hard for people. So mm. what's your best advice in terms of like getting through the holidays, even finding joy in the holidays, you know, knowing that you're just grieving the loss of somebody? Yeah, I think my best, I mean, there's not one piece of advice I would give, but let yourself grieve. I mean, you're going to miss that person that is not here to celebrate with you and your family. Um, you know, we just had Halloween and it's so hard thinking about what could have been like if Ryan was here with my two sons and seeing Leo dressed up for the first time, it was his first Halloween and seeing Jackson like become this little boy because when Ryan's accident happened, he was still kind of like more of a toddler. Um, so I let myself go there because I think it's really healthy to think about these things. Um, and the process of grief, the the goal isn't to get rid of the grief. It's to integrate the grief. It's to um, make it a part of your life. So when you think about the person you lost, there's more love that you think of than uh, pain. 
So, you know, my best piece of advice would be let yourself feel it. You're going to feel it anyway. Like let those emotions go, but then try to be present in the moment and have those moments of joys. Like let yourself be joyful because we do, we do feel shame and guilt sometimes when the person that we love is not here to celebrate, but you're here, you're alive. Um, living is for the living and, you know, all of us are going to experience loss and it's just a part of life, but we can also have joy. And I think that we need to live our lives with that in the forefront of our minds is that we still, we are here and it's really important to live our lives the best that we can while we're here. Well said. Well, what's next for you? What does the future hold for you, Whitney Allen? Because no one is given something this big and then they just go, okay, cool. <laughs> this yeah. is a really big thing, you know, you, you've been given. And I'm I'm curious what you what you're gonna do with it. Well, there's so many things happening right now. So my book, uh, Running in Trauma Stilettos, is it comes out the beginning of 2023. Um, so right now the the manuscript is locked. So we're kind of just like gearing up for talking about the launch and marketing. Um, so that's obviously very exciting getting that out into the world. And there will be a trailer about the book um, that will come out around the holiday time. So that's something I'm excited to prepare and get out in the world as well. Um, I'm doing a 12 week uh, grief educators course where at the end, I'll get my certification to help other people in grief. And I will be opening up a wait list soon on my new website that's coming out. So that's like in the next few weeks too. So you can obviously join that if that's something you're interested in. Um, and just kind of like settling into this new life with my boys. And I'm looking forward to the holidays because last year we were in hospitals and just in like the worst possible situation. And this year we get to have joy and I'm, I'm really excited for that. So just being able to spend that with my boys. Um, I'm very, I'm very looking forward to that. That's just amazing. That's going to be really great. It's, it's good to have the joy back, right? Like it's really mm -hmm. hard to, my daughter was in the hospital. She got, uh, diagnosed with ulcerative colitis when she was 11 and we were in the hospital for Christmas and it was so hard. And she, she always says that every Christmas she's 13 now, but every Christmas she wants to like joy bomb. Like she just, she wants it to be like the most over the top because she's seen the other side. She's seen the other side, what Christmas, you know, looks like when you're in the hospital, you know, we are now at the speed round, Whitney, this is party time. This is now the good times have started. Okay. So let's get it going. Okay. What does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? Cause goodness knows you are one. I am a warrior woman because no matter what life throws at me, I'm able to be resilient, um, make pain out of purpose, make purpose out of pain. Um, and find joy even when things are unimaginably hard. So true and well said. What is a mantra or quote that you live by? So Ryan always used to say, say don't get ready, stay ready. So that is my mantra for life. Don't get ready, stay ready. I love it. I love that. I think I'm going to have to adopt that as my mantra. 
Um, what makes you feel unstoppable? Working out, lifting weights, running up hills, all the things physical just make me feel so powerful, so strong. Um, and I think it's just the greatest medicine is movement. It's so true. And so many, many of us just want to stop, especially when we're in grief, you just want to just like hole up, right. Mm-hmm. And be physically still and small, but it's so true. It's like, you'll be running, you'll be moving and the, and you'll, the tears will come, right. It's just like, it's moving your body. It actually releases. So it's so good for you. It's incredible. So I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of being a good mom to my two boys, Jackson and Leo, um, and obviously the book. So those two things I'm the most proud of right now. I love it. What keeps you going when you're feeling lost? My kids. I mean, they are my, I wake up every day and I know that I have to be happy um, and keep moving for them because I want to be a good example to them of what it looks like to be thrown the, like the worst thing in your life and still be able to find joy. And I want them to see that. And I want them to have a joyful life because I'm happy. And I know when, you know, mama's happy, everyone's happy. So I want to be that example to them. So they keep me going. So true. It's the best gift you can give them. Uh, What's exciting you the most right now? Uh, a few things. So I'm in a new relationship. So that's really exciting. Stop it. Okay. That's exciting. Um, so that's exciting. And obviously my book coming out is very exciting and being able to help other people going through grief. Um, so those are the three, three things that you said one, but those are the three things that are really exciting right now. (laughs) So many things. Wendy, yeah. thank you so much for coming on today. I love everything you said. I will be 100% buying this book in multiples so that I can actually hand it out. Oh, uh, I just love this. And I'm so happy that you are making happiness available to you. Choosing it. So much, Yeah, choosing it. Mm-hmm. It's yummy. So thank you. And thank you for everyone joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show please leave us a five-star written review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with Mila Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye. So reinvention, the way that I now see reinvention is actually an expansion. And I'm almost seeing those words synonymous. Expanding. So we're not just changing who we are. We're expanding on to who we are and having more access to all of our aspects and to all of our all of ourselves, all of our missing parts and shadow sides. And so as we access more and more of our, our potential, that's where the expansion. And so it can sometimes look like a reinvention. I definitely reinvented myself. Well, I first reinvented myself from an attorney to a holistic arts practitioner and then uh, just to confuse, you know, to confuse people even more, I reinvented to an entertainment lawyer back to an attorney <laughs> after I had said to everyone I had decluttered all my business suits in my last book. <laughs> well, I was right because I don't have to wear business suits anymore because uh, we don't have to go in person anywhere anymore. <laughs> so I was kind of right. <laughs> you were right. You're right. So, so do you feel like that's how you've reinvented like from, well, I love it. First of all, I love it as a concept of expansion because you're right. It's not like you're starting from nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, when I think about the things I'm doing now, it's taking 
everything I've ever learned, everything I've ever done is making so much sense now. <laughs> like right. the stand-up comedy and being an actor and mm-hmm. all the things that I thought like marketing and social media, all the things I've ever done. Now I'm like, oh, this is all leading up to this point. So fascinating. So you're right. Reinvention is not like you're starting over. It's that you are expanding and you're expanding your base of what you're thinking you want to do, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm opening myself up or I'm, or I am changing my perspective to say like, oh, there's, there is more for me out there. Right. Yeah. And that's honestly why I used the web 3.0 reference earlier in that really that is what's happening. We are, we are, um, these newer versions of our old self and we had to have the prodigy in the AOL years <laughs> to get to where we are now and where we're going. So it is all about a building process and an integration of ourself and also what these aspects that we're not afraid of owning anymore, whether it's, you know, being gay or, I mean, I had a lot of like, well, for lack of a better word, shame when I left the law career to go into the healing arts, I had shame about being in front of like business people and then, but, and then going from healing arts to entertainment law, which there's a huge imposter syndrome there and now owning that I'm a feng shui lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, I think imposter syndrome is bullshit. Just letting you know, because like, and I'll tell you why, because I feel like they want to give us a syndrome. Like, do we really need something else? I don't think we need it. No, I feel like this is a little bit of an invention to really just say, I'm in a place where I'm a little uncomfortable and I'm fearful. Like Mm -hmm. I've stretched myself a little far and I got to take a moment and make myself feel safe again, because I've kind of pushed myself so far out of my comfort zone that my whole body and and my mind are going like, girl, what are you doing? You don't (laughs) even know, like you are crazy, right? So to me, that's just an indication that you need to really say, okay, let me slow down. Let me slow down. Everything doesn't have to be done at once. Everything doesn't have to be like a rocket ship to space. Like, let me just slow down, get myself to a place where I feel more comfortable, right? Like, and the the more slow you go, I always say slowing down speeds everything else up because Mm -hmm. my, like my career right now is insanely accelerated right now. There's a lot of acceleration, but I am literally finding so many ways to slow down because if I don't, I'll freak myself out try to probably sabotage myself and convince myself that I have this bullshit imposter syndrome. So I'm not doing that. Instead, I'm slowing down. So I think it's a way that women like don't know, they don't know how else to say like, oh shit, I've gone, I've literally pushed myself so far out of my comfort zone. I'd never even thought I would go this far. Mm. And now I'm like kind of regretting it. Like now I'm like, I don't think I should have gone that far. That's a little crazy. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, that's great perspective. Yeah, but yes, so I love- how you reinvented. How did you know you wanted to go into the healing arts? Like you're a lawyer for God's sakes. How in the world did that like come to you? It was an exploration for sure. I was really done with law in that in the ways that I knew I could do it or you know be it could be available for me. And at the time I was living in Tennessee. And so I actually was having some stress-related illnesses within myself from the law, of course. And so this took me down a path of seek. I knew there, you know, news in mind body. This was early 
early 2000s. So mind-body medicine wasn't anywhere where it is now, but I knew it was mind-body related. And so I didn't want to take a pill for that. I wanted to get to the root of it. And so I found some energy healers from the yoga studio that I was taking yoga at, which the yoga was amazing. It was healing in and of itself. And I had just immediate amazing effects from it and decided, you know what? I want to do this now. And so I got trained and started an energy healing business and I loved it. Love, love, loved. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done. Well, around that time, I purchased this home that needed a complete renovation. And as I was renovating it, I started having these correlating changes take place in my own self, my mind, body, and physical body or mind, spirit, <laughs> you know, get the point. And so um, I began to understand how energies in our spaces affect our own energy. And this became actually my first book, Mind, Body, Home. And so that I just kind of fell into it. And I guess the interest, my enthusiasm, my excitement around it just kept me going and kept me going. And I couldn't stop. <laughs> I love that. I also think it's so wild how our bodies will just absolutely be like, if you're not going to listen to what I'm telling you, I'm going to make you so uncomfortable. <laughs> you have no other way to deal with it, right? Like, and you could have actually chosen the medical route, right? You could have been like, okay, let me take a pill. Let me go to a therapist. Like, this is what happens to women a lot, I think. Like, oh, let me go to a doctor. Let me get a pill. Let me change my diet. Let me, that's all good. And that maybe that is what you need. But in essence, what it's, our bodies are saying is like, no, you're betraying me. I don't like this fucking job that you have me in this lawyer suit. I'm not into it. And I'm going to make it so uncomfortable. You have no other choice, but you have to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. The irony is that my dad was a pharmacist. He's passed now, but was a pharmacist. Taking prescription would have been just too easy. <laughs> Right. Cause you could, you already do that. Path. We don't want to like do things our parents like, you know, so it's like you had to do, you know, have to do something different than what your parents would approve of. <laughs> it, so we're going to talk about missing elements in a minute, but what do you think is a common missing element that people have? Well, it's, you know, it's one of the five elements and we all, it's, you know, across the board. But what I find in, I work with a lot of creatives and what I find their missing element to be, is usually metal, which is the editor, the editing mind, um, okay. the details, which, you know, that's something you can hire. And so some, one of these missing elements, if you have, you can hire or collaborate with others for. But for creatives, I notice the metal element tends to be the most lacking. Well, let's go over what these ele elements okay. are. So we know, because a lot of people don't even know what we're sure. talking about. So let's yeah, talk yeah. about what these elements are and like what they mean. Yeah. So I like to start with water because water is where the ideas, the intangible begins. It's the element that's the closest to spirit. And when that idea just kind of drops in, it's coming from that water phase. And so people who are dominant in water are the philosophers. They're the meditators, introverted as well. You know, you have to be quiet to hear. And so then you move into the wood phase. And that's when our ideas actually start to become tangible. You write the idea on a napkin. You actually start making notes or whatever the case is. Interesting sidebar, since I am an attorney, is that's actually when a copyright in our copyright system, when something becomes a copyright is actually the wood. So you have a copyright. So our wood people, they're initiators. They're, they like to start projects, get things going. And then you move into the fire phase. If you're writing a book, this is like the 60,000 words where you're just pounding it out and you have to commit and you're fiery, you're passionate. You got to keep going, keep going. And that's the season of summer when the heat, the yang energy is its height. And so our fire people are enthusiastic. You know, they're the cheerleaders. Come on, you can do it. And then the energy kind of hits a peak. 
And we move into the earth phase. And that's a pause, a rest. Our earth people are the mother archetype. They like harmony. They like things in balance. It's They're a little bit closer to the earth, very pragmatic and grounded. And then we move into metal. And once, once you have your project, let's say you sh- shot footage for a film, and then it has to be edited to a certain extent. So extracting some of the energy out of it. And so think about what creative projects, there's no editing phase, the metal phase, what that would be like. It would be a lot of gibberish. (laughs) That's so interesting because I definitely am fiery, but I absolutely love the water. Mm -hmm. That is like a big deal to me. And when we moved into this house, we have a giant pool in the back. We had a feng shui guy come over and he goes, you guys are going to make so much money. And we were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) This house basically is money. Like that pool is reflecting so much. Like it's, he's like, it's unbelievable. He's like, you can even enhance it by putting a fountain in the front and reflecting it like back or something like that. He had suggested something, but anyway, it was interesting and it has been true. So yeah. it's really, it really, it's fascinates me. And I, I have a, like, we, I go to Florida a lot for these like retreats and different things I do. And I am every single day I'm in that ocean. I don't really go in as much here. Cause it's in California, it's freezing, but in yeah. Florida, I'm in that you can't get me out of there. Like I wake up in the morning, I go down. It does. I don't care if it's raining. I go in the water. I go in the water in the evening, in the afternoon. Like I, it really like something about the salt water and being in the water. I love being in the water. So it's funny. Like people who are very fiery, well, <laughs> know they probably need to like chill yeah. the hell out. Exactly. It's actually considered the, it's actually a a particular cycle in Chinese medicine, water puts out or cools fire. And so when you are a fire element it's so, so important to do exactly what you just said. Yeah. And I love baths. Yeah. Like it's funny, right? Like I, when you were saying that, I was like, oh yeah, like that makes it like a lot of sense. Okay. So you, most people are missing. So most of the creatives you're, you're working with, we're missing the metal. That's right. Now, for folks who have a hard time, just have fear in starting a project or getting up, you know, like just to start something, they're missing the wood element. You think, you know, people who have like, oh, they're so full of ideas, but they never really do anything with them. That's a lot of water without any action, without any yang energy. Okay. So getting this book, people are going to like kind of be able to unstick themselves a little bit, right? Like if they're stuck in a certain phase, like, oh, I'm all about the ideas, but I never execute. Or I'm over here executing all over the place, but I'm super messy about it. And I'm just putting everything up, right? Like, so you're going to kind of get a a sense of like where you are. Like, is there like a quiz in there? Oh yeah. There's a quiz. Oh, I love a quiz. There's a quiz. (laughs) Yes. I love a good quiz. Okay. And you're promising me this is going to be a quiz. Yes. Because I just feel like this is really gold, you know, and I know the things. You dedicated this book to your baby daughter, Stella Ray, who tragically passed away. You called her your missing element. Tell me about how she, and it's funny because your wife, not funny, but amazing. Cause your wife also said like, she felt like Stella helped her write her book. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me, I love that you have like authors in your house, like two, two, <laughs> two authors in the same house. Tell me how she inspired you writing this book. Well, this book is actually my project to get me through that time. You know, in hard times, my work is what grounds me and it kind of keeps me here in the 3D. And so this was the book that helped me through that time. And so this aspect of your missing element, I mean, she died as a full-term stillbirth. The missingness of that is just something that's hard to even put into words of when you're missing something that never was in a way, except for your dreams and hopes and plans and visions. 
And so she's missing in such a profound way. And then she's my hidden strength because I know she's one of my best guardian angels that I could that I have a whole team now, but she's up there with that team and definitely a hidden strength of mine that it's she's so hidden, you know, that I probably don't even have any idea of how what a strength she is for me. Yeah, without a doubt. I know that you're as a feng shui expert. What are some of the biggest kind of mistakes we make feng shui wise? Because I will never forget, I went to this conference and this woman, (laughs) I said something about like, oh, I had a high blood pressure or something. And she was like, where's your fireplace? And I was like, what? (laughs) Fireplace. And I don't know what it was. I can't even remember now because it was my old house, but my fireplace was like in the, like the worst possible location. She was like, no wonder you have high blood pressure. And then she was like, and if, you know, the worst thing that could happen is you live on like a dead end street. And I was like, shit. (laughs) And then she was like, and you live, if you live near a highway, like that is just too much energy. And I was, it was almost like she was saying all the things I knew were true. And I was horrified for years. I wanted to move out of this house. And my husband was kind of hanging on to it. He really was like, no, I don't want to move. And I was like, I got to get out of this house. I knew. So when she said all these things, I was like, holy shit. She's like literally saying the things I've been thinking. And I couldn't figure out like, why can I never calm down in this house? Why can't I ever be still here? Like it was just highway was too close. And the energy of it was bananas. Tell me some of the biggest mistakes we make feng shui wise in our offices or in our homes that kind of could hold us back. Well, it starts with like which house you sign a lease on or buy, because it's really about the floor. The floor plan is the most important. I mean, we can screw things up with our furniture all day long as well, but it's not as, as big as the actual floor plan. And so having missing sections, what we call missing sections from your floor plan. So where it's not a square or rectangle, where there's kind of bites out of the floor plan, these are called missing corners. And it really will just be missing energy in that aspect of your life. So your whole, your, the Bagua map that overlays over your floor plan shows you all the nine areas of your life, money, love, health, and so forth. And so if you have a missing section from one of those areas of your life, you will you'll be in struggle soup in that area of your life while living there. Now, as feng shui consultants, that's where we come in and we try to remedy those as much as we can with some energetic tr- tricks by trying to fill in the energy and so to speak. You know, wherever attention goes, energy flows. So if you put enough attention into that missing area, you can trans- transcend it or transform it. Better yet, when you actually do move, you won't make that mistake again because you did transcend it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so knowledge is power. A hundred percent. And is it true that, is it the pools are money or is it more where the position of a pool or the water element or why was he saying that to us? There's a lot of depends in that question. That's the one thing I have in common with the attorney and the feng shui expert is it, <laughs> it depends. Right. Yeah. So it depends on the position of my house and the position of the pool and where. Yeah. I mean, pools in general are, are, you know, this, the water element and that's all nice. And, but I had one, one client, a property in Sherman Oaks, one of the hillside properties that had a pool, like one of those um, infinity pools. Mm -hmm. And it looks as though it's washing down the back of a major hill. And so that's just money going down, going out and down away from you. So like, that's a good example of where a pool was not good. And a pool that has a leak, it's money being leaked in some way. So you want to make sure the pool is in good shape. Interesting, right? I remember I've gone to a couple people's houses with those infinity pool and it always freaks me out. <laughs> I never am like, this is awesome. I'm like, this is freaky. Like it's so <laughs> like just off a cliff, you know, yeah. like, you know, wow. 
All right, Tisha, we've reached the speed round. We are here. We're oh, fun. So part of the program. What does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? Wow. Uh, first thing I see is Wonder Woman in my vision here. I think what it means to me to be a warrior woman is following my intuition despite what other people say is possible. Absolutely. I, it's so funny. This intuition thing is coming up a bunch in my mastermind groups right now. And when I was telling them that it's an actual thing, like meaning it's located in your pineal gland, like this is not just like a thing we're making up, like intuition, you know, like it really is a actual, it's your third eye. It's your, you know, chakra. So like, it's interesting. People are starting to now clue into this is actually a thing. This is not like just like some hokey thing, like that we're just like pulling out of the sky. What's my intuition told me? It's like, no, it's actually a, a real mm-hmm. instrument and it's a muscle that should be honed. Like, not, a, I mean, you don't walk around, people aren't walking around going, like, what are you working on, Tisha? Well, I'm working on honing my intuition. Thanks for asking. <laughs> you know, but it is something you can work on. You can work on. Absolutely tapping into your intuition. And I think what's great about your book is you're kind of leading us to that. You know, you're leading mm-hmm. us to be looking at the internals versus the externals going, thinking about like, Oh, like that's interesting. I'm not finishing pro, pro you know, mm-hmm. projects. What is missing? Like, what can mm-hmm. I bring in? Right. Yeah. So I love that. What is a mantra or quote you live by? My book, after I started actually writing it, there's a quote in the beginning by Joseph Campbell and it's a pretty famous quote and it's, can be summarized by the cave you fear to enter holds your greatest treasure. And that cave you fear to enter is your missing element. It's kind of what we've put away. I'm not a speaker. I'm not good at parallel parking or whatever the case is, but it's that it's that it's whatever you're fearing. And that's where holds our greatest treasure. So that's the quote that's really been, been really living into, you know, anytime you have a book come out you really have to walk your talk or else the universe will slap you and force you to. So I, I spent a good year while this book was in editing, really embracing my missing element, which is fire currently. And so here for you, Tisha. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for you. Any of your fire needs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm here for your water needs. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's so, yeah, that's interesting though. I love that quote. It's so funny. Like this is why I started this podcast is because people like you come on here and then you say that thing. And then I go, that is so brilliant. I want to tell every single person, but now I'm here. I'm telling all the people. (laughs) (laughs) We're a top rated podcast. Everybody's hearing it, but it really does. In all seriousness, it really like these kind of conversations where you say that and then, you know, you take that in, like people who are listening now are going to take that in like, oh my gosh, the, the cave that I'm most afraid to enter is where my deepest, my, what did you say? Greatest my greatest treasure. Greatest treasures lie. Yeah. You know, taking that in and thinking about that, right? A lot of the women I coach have like things they're working on in their visibility. Like they're afraid to be visible or mm-hmm. they're, they're afraid to make money. Like they're not, they think they're no good with money or they're, they want to do everything out of being like charity. They want to give, but they don't want to necessarily receive. It's interesting when you look at those things, like knowing that if you go on that journey to what that is, if you go on that journey to look right, that there is a treasure there. Yeah. Like our thought is it's going to be fucking scary. I'm going to go in the freaking cave. It's going to scare the shit out of me and things are going to get worse. 
but that's actually not the case at all. And it's not that like, there's a lot of personal satisfaction and fulfillment that comes at the end of that. It's not just like, oh, yay, now I have a book or I've made more money or whatever. There's a personal satisfaction because we're accessing all of our aspects. And when we do that, we're in our full energy and power. And that's what feeling and looking alive and being alive and enjoying life, enjoying life is all about. 1000%. What makes you feel unstoppable? It's when things line up in such a synchronistic way. When I'm getting the green light in a co-creative process with the universe, that's when I know I'm on the right track. And that's when I, that's when I'm unstoppable. That is so juicy and true. I know exactly what you're talking about. I love that feeling too. Like where you're like, wow, it is really like all signs go over here. I Uh must be really onto something. (laughs) It's so cool. What are you most proud of? Gosh, you know, being the dates 2022, I think being alive, we should all be proud of being alive now and plowing forward in our missions and what we feel passionate about. You know, I honestly, I can hear myself kind of diverting from this question a bit because I have a hard time being proud of myself for things. So a bit of a missing element here. I think it's hard to distill it down to one. Definitely my relationship with my wife, but it's more, I think I'm more proud of her for a relationship than I myself. Of her being... <laughs> Look how you don't want to give yourself that either. I know. <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to celebrate ourselves and be. Yeah. Happy. Yeah. That's why I ask it. I know it's good. I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think you have to be really proud of, you know, the way you guys have handled this epic tragedy in your life, the way you yeah. are taking it and making it into beautiful things, right? Yeah. It is really hard that on yourself. Yeah. When a couple goes through a shared strategy, it's harder than like, I've had a lot of family members pass in the last few years, but, and, but Rachel was there for me and, you know, and vice versa. But when you both suffer um, a loss at the same time, you can't lean on the other, like, like you would other could otherwise. And so it's more challenging than I, than one might think. People always say, well, you have each other. I'm like, well, kind of, yeah, but (laughs) it's like, we got two people who are like drowning, like who's saving who? Like what's happening here? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I feel like, you know, there's, there are these things that happen to us that are just things we just can't even imagine how dark or bad they could be. And then, you know, people say like, oh, there's going to be things that are beautiful that come out of this. And you're like, shut the hell up. Right. Like, you know, just <laughs> what are you talking about? And then you see like, oh, wow, that actually was born out of that was a gift she's continually giving me or a place that I get to, you know, use that strength so that I have it, you know? Absolutely. So it is really, yeah. it's fascinating. So I'm proud of you for that. What keeps you going when you're feeling lost? I'm so guided by signs and messages pretty much daily and they come daily too in pretty profound ways. Like I said, I have a pretty big spirit team and in spirit and whether it's a song, particular songs that play, particular birds that show up and also my dreams. My dreams give me a lot of prophetic and current and prophetic messages as well. And also just, um, Music in general, music is like the one thing that I can always rely on to be there for me. It meets me wherever I am. Music is so powerful. I I, I think we, I was talking about this the other day in the membership group, we were talking about music and letting yourself have music because I think 
you know, when you're in high school, you're like really deep into your, you know, I'm like (laughs) writing down the lyrics to songs and I'm like crying and my, yeah, you know, (laughs) and then you kind of, you know, you get older and you don't necessarily let yourself access music that same way where you Mm -hmm. let it make you emotional or you use it to uplift you or you put it on to enjoy it. And like people, it's funny, like, you know, especially when like having like these teenage people, you know, they're just playing music all the time. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, I just need this silence. But I think it's so important to know that that's such a a way you can buoy yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. when you are feeling lost, because music is such the great understanding. It's like the universal truth. You know, you go to these concerts. I never really liked Coldplay until I saw them live at the Hollywood Bowl. Mm. And I, everyone knew every word. And he just created this feeling this energy. And I was just like crying because I just love humanity. It was like, I love everyone here. Like it was so beautiful, you know, like that universal truth that we all have pain and we all are working through things and we all want to, we want connection and we all want to be loved and all the things. Yeah. I think you just put into words what I, what I was feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. What is exciting you the most right now? Well, while I'm promoting my book. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> Have you heard of my book, Missing Elm? Hello. Yes. It, yeah. Meanwhile, what I'm really most passionate about is the memoir that I'm writing right now. I am uh, just finished the first draft of it and going to go into the second draft in a few months once I'm through the initial promo of this book. But, you know, as creatives, we're always working on the next project. As one comes out, there's another one in the coffer. So this memoir I'm really passionate about. And, you know, even if it never sees the light of day, it's been so cathartic for me in ways that writing has always been for me. It's so amazing that you're doing that. I'm so glad you're doing that. Do you have a title or you can't tell me? Can't tell you, but yeah, I do have a title. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know. It's so funny. I love the names of books. I don't know what it is, but like I instantly know by the name. I'm like, Ooh, that's a good one. You know, Mm -hmm. like I love that. So maybe you can tell me secretly. Yes. Yes. I will. Okay. Secretly off camera. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming to the show, Tisha. Thank you for being on. I'm excited about all your things always, but I'm very excited about this book and this course that I'm forcing you to do. Yes. Yes. All right. I'm on it. I'm on it. (laughs) All right. Thank you everybody for joining me today. And remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star written review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye.